Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast. My name is Alan, and I elongated the good as much as I could without it being uncomfortable. With me this week, we have Matthew Sainsbury. Hello. So That's great energy. Fantastic. All right. Hello, Trent. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Trent. And hi, Harvard. Good morning. Okay. Well, this, uh, I guess we're doing... We're a low-key today, Alan. I guess the energy that I bring is just not being respected. That's... Well, see, it's like rainy in Australia right now. It's raining yeah, it's everywhere. It's going to snow tomorrow in the UK. Excuse me? Are you saying it's raining? No, it is not. It's raining where I am. I mean, it is 35 degrees, it is boiling hot, and it is no rain. It's important well, to know that we're recording this. You've got to move out of the boonies, <laughs> Trent. Move, move somewhere good. Yeah, move to the UK. Nothing's wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> Renowned for being wrong. totally fine. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Anyway, um, yeah podcast let's go um yeah, let's Matt, do this what's the what's the song what's the song of this month for the miku oh that's right we do a miku thing don't we hey yeah, we yeah that's cool that's what i know let is I, I, I i've totally come unprepared i haven't even thought of a song let's go with let's go with the old classic shall we let's go with seven bond sakura that's a good song
welcome back. So it is the dawn of a new month. Uh, it is the old month of February, surprisingly enough. I can't believe we're already in February. It's, it's actually Fibby. shocking. Oh, excuse me? Fibby. It's a Fibby. I'm not going to even broach that, but okay. <laughs> oh, you've, you've been living in the UK for long. so long, you don't have nicknames for the months anymore. That's right. No, we just have misery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You damn UK people all up yourselves. Yeah. you got to get your Aussie back, me, Alan. You realise that me living in the UK doesn't stop me from being Australian. <laughs> it's not like it's so... Actually, it totally does. I was wrong. Anyway, I, game's I coming keep, out. I keep on... coming on every month just waiting to hear you start to get develop the UK accent, Alan. No, what I part really... of the UK are you basing? You like the, the bad accent? I'm in, I'm in West uh, London, bruv, yeah? Right, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. No, I'm not going to ever fucking talk in the fucking West London accent, yeah? <laughs> talking about i'm gonna start talking like brick top and i'll just become a guy Ritchie character from 2001 that's my plan anyway games are coming out this month matt what are the games coming out this month (laughs) (laughs) there are games coming out this month (laughs) um quite a few actually so this is going to take a while to run through we'll start with the playstation 5 shall we because that's a new console that everyone's actually waiting for a game to come out on so we can play it um Destruction All-Stars comes out on February 2. Now I'm saying February. February 2. Um, I don't know. Myself. It's good, right? I heard people like and it. Wrecking nice. cars or something. Everyone likes smashing cars up. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Um, also on the same day, Control Ultimate Edition comes out. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. You get both Control. of those for free as well. If you do. Plus, which is a fantastic deal. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Uh, February 4, you got Werewolf the Apocalypse, Earthbound, uh, Earthblood, sorry, which is an RPG thing. <laughs> I want to see Earthbound on PS5. <laughs> I really want to see a, a horror version of Earthbound now um, on PlayStation 5. That would be that would be entirely 2021. Uh, but no, it, this is an RPG thing that actually looks pretty good. And yeah, Werewolf. That's the World of Darkness thing. For people who don't know too much about you know, pen and paper RPGs, the main one, I guess, in that series is Vampire the Masquerade. Most people have heard about that. Werewolf the Apocalypse is another one where instead of playing as vampires, you play as werewolves, funnily enough. And it's pretty good. It's a pretty good pen and paper this RPG. different from the one that came out on Switch last month, right? Uh, the one that came out on Switch was a, a visual novel. So this is a proper RPG. Okay. Yeah. That's the difference. Uh, also, on February 5, the Neo Collection comes out. That's pretty cool. 120 FPS, not that that matters to me, but some people care about FPSs or something. Um, I want to ask, though, who has a 120 like, hertz TV? No. <laughs> who has that? Nobody. No, I, I don't understand what the point is. I understand if you have like a, a 120 FPS like version for a like, monitor. But like, who who owns 120 hertz? Well, the gamers do, Alan. The gamers, you see. This is for the gamers. gamers. The gamers are too busy crashing Wall Street to buy things. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. They need to make a video game about that. They do. Uh, anyway, Neo's are actually really good. Uh, if you like Dark Souls, <laughs> if you like Dark Souls and uh, the the kind of genre, then Neo is right up there. I personally think it's the best. But yeah, that's just me. Other people find it really good anyway, even if it's not their favourite. So Neo is definitely worth looking into if you haven't yet. And you'll get both of those in the one pack at 4K resolution and 120 FPS. That's the big thing for February. Um, also on PlayStation 5, what else we got? That's it. Mac 3. 
that's really kind of <laughs> it that's on this list. Uh, I'm sure some other little things will come out, but that's kind of that's the PlayStation 5 for the month. Uh, moving on to PlayStation 4. There's a lot coming out on PlayStation 4. This is going to take a while. All right. So we've got Monstrum Nox. East 9 Monstrum Nox comes out on February 2. Now, Embargo has lifted, so I can talk about that. Okay, so this is actually pretty good. I'm a fan of East overall. There, there have been some games that I haven't been a big fan on, but this one I'd say is probably the best of them. It's a bit darker in tone, and... It's a bit more grand in scope. And yeah, it, it's actually a really good game. So I've got a review coming down probably by the time this podcast goes live. Definitely look into that one. Then we've also got... Also for those playing at home, East is spelled Y-S. Yeah, I was going to yes, say, when I was know. a child, when I was a child, I thought it was pronounced Wise. <laughs> and I always I... pronounced it Yes, like, sorry, Yes, kind of without the E. But Matt, how do, you, how do you say Y-E-S? Yes. How do you say E-Y-E-S? I didn't say yes. I never spelled, pronounced it with e. I was just like yes, you know yes. I was trying to get yes. you to say yes. <laughs> I was trying to get you to say things. Yeah. Good try. Not didn't work. I didn't fall for it. Did not fall into your trap, Alan. You don't fall Where into the trap that I set for my ten-year-old students. <laughs> Damn it! Where I for it. Werewolf the Apocalypse comes out on PlayStation 4 as well, so there you go. Um, moving on, Little Nightmares 2 comes out on February 11. That was a pretty good game, the first one. It was a fun little puzzle horror game. The sequel is probably going to be good too, I want to think. So there you go. That's one of those kind of under-the-radar games that you probably don't want to miss if you do like your atmospheric little puzzle games. On February 11... Romance of the Three Kingdoms 14 Diplomacy and Strategy Expansion Pack Bundle comes out, which is a lot of words, but basically it's just an extended version of the original Romance of the Three Kingdoms 14. It's got extra DLC and stuff built into it, and it's actually a really good strategy game. It's one of the better ones out there. So that comes out on PlayStation 4 and Switch, which we'll talk about soon. Fallen Legion Revenants comes out on PlayStation 4 on February 16. That's a sequel to a game that I wasn't particularly keen on, but a lot of other people did, so there you go. Um, what else we got? On February 16, the Annapurna Interactive Digital Deluxe, sorry, Annapurna Interactive Deluxe Limited Edition comes out, which is, it's a physical box of a whole bunch of different games. Donut County, Goro. Gorogoa, Kentucky Route Zero TV Other Edition, Outer Wilds, Sayonara Wild Hearts, Telling Lies, Wattam, and that What Remains of Edith Finch. That Annapurna is an Interactive bundle. That's very good. You yeah, Annapurna Interactive. Yeah, yeah, Annapurna Interactive is like the art house publisher, um, and those are all very good games. They are <laughs> the most Melbourne concept. hipster Fitzroy North sort of like you know that sort of vibe, sort of developer. They, uh, they, they so are. They so are. You know, um, I think Elijah Wood actually invested in them originally. That does not surprise me. He seems like a savvy boy. Yeah, he likes his art, does, does Elijah. Didn't so, he make a PS4 game? I think he was involved in that 11.11 Memories Retold. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's been in and around the kind of art house side of the video game. He was also in oh. the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, and Return of the King. He was surprisingly enough. He was. He was the little Hobbit with the hairy feet. 
Yeah, you couldn't play as him, though, because he was a little nerd. <laughs> um, we also have Curse of the Dead Gods coming out on February 23. That's a roguelike, which looks a lot like Hades, <laughs> which is cool. Hades was good, so more of good is good. Um, going through... Persona 5 Strikers comes out on February 23. I've been playing that a lot. That's actually a very good game. Preview embargoes lifted, so I can talk about the first part of it. It's a very good game. Uh, and surprisingly, I went in thinking it was going to be a Dynasty Warriors thing, uh, just like the Hyrule Warriors games are, because it's by that developer. But it's actually much closer to the actual RPG than a Warriors thing. It just kind of... It, it's basically, if you're to take... Persona, Persona 5, and just replace the turn-based combat with the kind of action-based combat system, then that's Persona 5 Strikers. So that's pretty good. That's, that has sold me on that so hard. Okay, i got to buy that game. Right. Yeah, I was really surprised how little Dynasty Warriors it feels. It, it genuinely feels more like Persona. Yeah, so, I, I was thinking if it's just Hyrule Warriors, which was fine, like, that, that is not going to interest me. But hearing it's like an actual game and not just... It's an, game. it's an actual game. Well, okay. Yeah. Way to shit on my favorite match. games, Alan. Yeah. Look, you send me bad images of things, I will shitpost live on stream. <laughs> uh, and then at the end of the month, Wrath, Aeon of Ruin, comes out on PlayStation 4. I don't know what that is, but it's got the word Wrath in it. That so has the. That is maybe the most PS2 like 2003 <laughs> name I have ever ever encountered like that's like arc the dark lad or something wait yeah. Matt, do you mean wrath 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 no he means like a rough like a dog yeah i i, I genuinely spelled out my notebook as r-a-f-f from what you said <laughs> <laughs> no w-r-a-t-h as in the yeah that's what i thought sin. okay it's wrath it's wrath yeah. no it's just it's just a dog it's a really nice dog <laughs> What a nice Moving dog. on. It's a dog's Moving life. On. It's the sequel to a dog's life, dude. <laughs> Does it come with dog coin? <laughs> I wish we'll be rich. By the time this comes out, that joke will be irrelevant. Oh, it's going to be extremely irrelevant, but I don't even care, dude. <laughs> on Nintendo Switch, we have Cultus Simula Simulator coming out on February Great 2. Great video That's... game. Yeah, I haven't played it. I've been waiting for it to come out on a console. Um, it is but I, I know... I know it has a really good reputation on PC and whatever, and Switch, I don't know, for card games, Switch seems to be a pretty good spot for me, so I'm looking forward to giving that a go. I've been looking forward to it for a while, so good on it coming out on Switch. Uh, Haven comes out on February 4. That's a port of the PlayStation 5 game, which was originally just an exclusive to PS5, but now it's on Switch and also coming out on PC. That's one of those RPGs that actually respects your time. It's only about a dozen hours long, which is actually good because that's what it deserves to be. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I, that's what the narrative is. Man, and, shorter RPGs. Yeah, and it's just this really lovely RPG about romance and stuff, but the right, I'm not the fan service romance. It's, it's um, it, it treats the topic with proper respect, it does. So yeah, it's very, very good game and looking forward to playing it on the go. Um, a game called Skyforge comes out on Switch on February 4. That's an MMO. There you go. Switch will finally have one. Cool. 
if you like War of the Worlds, there's an, a properly licensed, I guess you could call it, a War of the Worlds story called Grey Skies that comes out on February 4. That's like a shooter thing, I think. Um, Stealth-based single-player adventure. There you go. So you have to avoid the big robot things while doing stuff. I don't know. Um, Kowloon High School Chronicle comes out on February 4. My now, this is... God, this, dude. <laughs> this is great. This is, um, this is a really good-looking game. It comes to us from Toybox, which is Swery's developer, or was Swery's developer. I don't know. I don't know what his relationship is with it now. But... Oh, no, hang on, I'm not sweary. The Harvest Moon Guys studio. Uh, Wada, there you go. Anyway, this is a dungeon crawler, and it's got a really good ass aesthetic, really nice-looking game. And it's got a really good ass. <laughs> it's got a really good ass. No, the funniest <laughs> thing is it's got this really interesting dialogue system where you could do different actions rather than the same words, and one of the actions is lick. So you can actually go around licking everybody in this game. Just which like... Is no, every game, no. all games need lick mechanics, Alan. This is like Mary Skelter all over again. <laughs> yes, actually, Mary Skelter is probably the best uh, comparison point. It's the it, best lick game. Yeah, need lot, lots more lick games. Just as I, long as you can't select like what body parts, so you can go lick ass and then like animate, <laughs> no, just skate fast and then eat ass. That's how it works. I used to imagine like the Fallout 3 target body system, but instead of like <laughs> you're targeting where you want to lick. It just like slows down and you just like lick a rat. <laughs> Do it. Anyway, that's actually one other thing I mean to mention. That was originally a 2004 game in Japan, so it's been around for quite a while. Um, but if you do like your dungeon crawlers, that one does genuinely look good. <laughs> I'm just imagining a game where you play as Kakyoin from Gojo, <laughs> just licking as many cherries as you can. I don't know why that's the only image that I have in my head right now, and I'm so here for it. On February 10, there's a, the latest in the Choices That Matter series comes out on Switch. So this is Choices That Matter and Their Heroes Were Lost. If you haven't played a Choices That Matter game, there are two that are on the Switch right now. They're Aussie-developed um text-based adventure games that are just text they're purely text there's no visuals in them whatsoever and they're really really good like they found really good writers for them and you make existed before like because they're coming out so fast yeah they're all on mobile this is this is the work of a company called tin man games and tin man games created this structure that kind of the mechanics for these games and they've got a whole bunch of people writing different stories for them so it's kind of like a platform for this particular type of storytelling. And, yeah, the, the I guess the distinguishing feature about these games is that you do make dozens and dozens and dozens of decisions as you play along, and it's a very fluid kind of um, storytelling experience. They're really, really good. I highly recommend them. They're quite cheap. And if you go and check one of the first two out and you do enjoy them, then the third one comes out on February 10th. Moving on, Little Nightmares 2 comes out on Switch as well, February 11. Uh, also, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, like I mentioned, that comes out on PlayStation 4. It's also coming out on Switch, being the first time that the Romance of the Three Kingdoms series is on Switch. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I do love my grand strategies and having another one after Civilization on my Switch would be a good thing. Speaking of Civilization, actually, 
Vietnam has been added to yeah. the game, which is great. It's, it's so really, cool. really cool. Uh, I, I like that faction, faction, I civilization. Want, I want more obscure factions. Like, I want the most obscure ones you can possibly... The funniest, the funniest thing about it, well, though, is the, the racial ability, the civilization ability of Vietnam is, like, if your units are on forest tiles and they get bonuses in combat right and i thought i thought i thought that was a i thought that was a reference to obviously the vietnam war but it actually isn't they did that before as well they pulled the same trick many hundreds of years before that so that's pretty cool as it turns out living in an area like vietnam you're probably going to get good in fighting in an area that is like vietnam over a certain amount of time living in an area like vietnam like, yeah, I know. I just like that they keep pulling the same trick and it keeps working. It's pretty cool. Good on them. Yeah. No, I want to see, like, Seychelles or something. <laughs> That's, like, my next goal is I want to see Seychelles or, like, just, I don't know, just, like, pick some random country in the middle of, like, French Polynesia. Yeah, French Polynesia. No, I keep, oh, yeah. I, I keep telling them they need to do Ainu, the native Japanese people. That would be really cool. I keep play every, every time I every time I get an an update from 2K Games via press release or whatever, I send them back saying, "Hey, where's the Ainu people?" I want to play <laughs> as penguins from Antarctica. I want to play them. I want to go and I want to control the world as Feathers McGraw. <laughs> <laughs> moving on, moving on from very Alan's very strange little fantasies. Um, Nintendo's first, Nintendo is in Nintendo themselves. Their first big game of 2021 comes out on February 12th. Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. Um, Super Mario 3D that. World is an exact port of the Wii U one, which is good. People can finally play it because nobody bought a Wii U. And Bowser's Fury is the maybe the best bonus thing that Nintendo's ever thrown on a game. It's really, really good. feels like a full... It, it feels like it should... It? It feels Look like it Bowser's was just furry because he's furry now. <laughs> this that Bowser's Fury thing feels like it was meant to be a, a full separate game at one stage, and in the last minute, maybe Nintendo decided to just cut the scale of it back a little bit and stick it on as a bonus in 3D World. But it is really good, so yeah. <laughs> Alan, here's your game of the month. On February 12, 2021, Galgun Returns lands on Switch. No, I saw an ad for that, and I instantly knew this was going to be brought up. I instantly <laughs> knew. I, I, it was like a, a, like you know when you do a gag reflex, it's like, oh, it's like that. I saw <laughs> that. Galgun is, Galgun is good fun. It's very me. Um, that's a on rails shooter with lots of sense of titty game. And it's just a titty game. Actually, speaking of TD games, on February 16, Azure Lane Crosswave comes out on Switch. That's a port of the PlayStation 4 one that was released last year. It's actually really good. It's like a 3D shmup. Um, You're going to say it's like a 3D TD game. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's a 3D shmup cross with visual novel thing. Lots of fan service. Very good stuff. Moving on. King of Seas lands on February 18. Action role-playing game set in procedural pirate world. Sounds good to me. Moving on, moving on. Thomas Was Alone comes out on February 19. That came out of nowhere, didn't it? Thomas Was Alone was an excellent game, and Why having it on Switch. Now? <laughs> yeah, I would, I would just assume it's already on Switch, just yeah. based on what the Switch is. Yeah, I know. It's weird that it's taken so long, but there you go. If you haven't played Thomas Was Alone, or you haven't played it for a while because it is 
on legacy platforms, not so much new ones, then give it a go. It's really good. Bit of a spoiler was... warning, though. He is alone. <laughs> it... one, That's the first know. Mike Bissell game, right? Yeah, it is it the is. first Mike Bissell game, and he's since become something of a indie legend in the video game industry. So he makes good see... games. <laughs> yeah. You can see the origins of the guy that made the John Wick game. That's the same guy. That's a good game, too, that John Wick game. Yeah, X, um, play it. Yeah, X, very good. Persona 5 Strikers comes out on Switch as well, February 22. So if you don't want to play it on PlayStation, you can play it on Switch instead, which is funny because you can't play PlayStation uh, Persona 5 on Switch, but you can play the... I'm not really missing out that much on Persona 5, though. Nah, it's not that good. game is too long. Way too long. Taxi Chaos comes out on February 23 on Switch. I think, just looking at the box art, I'm going to assume it's that, crazy it is, taxi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, it, that it is a homage to Crazy Taxi. Don't don't there. say homage. It's rip-off. It's probably more rip-off. going off the name. I think it actually got Sega's blessing, though. I think that's the story behind it. Like Because it's obviously a rip-off. But Sega's like, yeah, go ahead. Have fun. Sega's we kind of what he's doing at this point. <laughs> I, I hate when they do that because I, I like when they give their blessing and let a fan game survive. But it's also just them saying, we don't want to do anything with this anymore, so just go with it. Yeah, it's a pretty it's, good idea, I think. It's, honestly, I'd rather have that than have nothing at all, which was basically the Sega's library for about 15 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't like it when they sit on their IP and then go, no one else can have this. But you also don't like it when they release with... Shadow the Hedgehog? You don't like that? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you like that? Why do you hate fun? Why does Hobbit hate of, fun, Matt? Speaking um, of do you want to stream Shadow next, next stream? <laughs> Don't tempt me. Speaking <laughs> of having no fun, um, and Sonic, Balan Wonderland has a demo out. Oh, that game is not... shit, apparently. Yeah, yeah, it's real bad. <laughs> it's like, why did you put a demo out of this game of all games, guys? It's probably the one game you didn't want to do a demo of. Um, yeah, it's not good, unfortunately. That doesn't come out in February, but you can play the demo now, just... Or you could not, or you could do literally anything else with your time. Yeah, moving on. Uh, (laughs) You could drink some water. If you like really bad Souls games, Hellpoint comes out on Switch on February 25. That's the worst Souls game that's ever been made. It's kind of interesting to play just for that basis, just to see how bad the genre can be. Why is it bad? Oh, it's just bad on every level. Like combat, not good. Level design, not good. Or... Yeah, mostly the level designs are just shocking, but oh, also good. it's just not interesting. Like they they don't do anything interesting with it. So I mean, everybody knows Dark Souls is really good because it plays well, but it also has you know, interesting atmosphere. It's got good storytelling that's done in unconventional ways, so on and so forth. And then some the better clones of Star or the better Souls likes like Neo or the Surge also have that kind of additional interest. You know, it's something to Keep you hooked in beyond the combat. So you're going to say Lords of the Fallen, and I was about to scream. <laughs> no, Lords of the Fallen is an example of a bad one, and then Hellpoint is like Lords of the Fall- Fallen, just even worse. So oh, Hellpoint is the one that has random like like demons in science fiction world, right? Is yeah, that it's a sci- it's a sci-fi one where you're kind of in a space station that's orbiting a black hole, and there's all these demons that come the one interesting mechanic it has is depending on the time of day or you know, because it's circling it's rotating around it orbiting there's the word i was looking for it's orbiting a black star depending on where it is in the orbit the monsters in the area become tougher or weaker 
So if you just happen to rock up to an area that's got like godlike monsters because it's um, that time of day, then you're in for a pretty crappy time and then you'll die and come back and there'll be no monsters there because it's yeah, noon Wasn't down. there a GBA game that had the exact same premise but with real sun? Yeah, there was. That was a Capcom game. Yeah, that was that was not a. It was a vampire. It was a good game, but it was not yeah, a good was, idea. Yeah. It had like the the cartridge actually had a little. Um, yeah, I guess you like go stand outside. A friend of mine had. Yeah. I remember him yeah. standing outside and like, dude, I can't wait to play Pokemon later on. I'm like, no, 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 man, I've got to like stand in the sun. In like. Oh, can I tell a sad story about this game? When I was a kid, uh, my I think my uncle bought me a bootleg of it, and it was on just like a regular gray cart with no solar sensor. And my dumb nine-year-old self thought that there was a solar sensor, so I sat outside in the sun for like half an hour, <laughs> thinking that I would get power, and I did not get power. I was stuck for the first 30 minutes of that game, thinking I was doing something wrong. Oh, no. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> we're talking about February games here. On February 25, Code Realize Wintertide Miracles comes out. That's an Otome visual novel. Horrible. They're actually very good, the Code Realize series. Very, very high-quality visual novels, and I'm looking forward to that one. That's the one that brings in famous kind of characters from literature, so it's got Arsene Lupin, uh, Victor Frankenstein, Van, Hel Van Helsing, and various other characters, and, yeah, it's really nice. Um, what else we got? Another visual novel that actually looks good. I don't know anything about it, but it actually looks... Genuinely good, not funny good, not me sticking screenshots in Twitter to annoy Alan good. Not just um, sending softcore pornography to me on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, that. Uh, it's called <laughs> Steam Steam Prison. And if you look up the screenshots and whatever, it looks like a pretty good one. That comes out on February 25. Also on February 25, Republic comes out on Switch. Now that is an 1984-style kind of surveillance themed game where you don't play as the character directly you play as the um the surveillance cameras and you've got to help a character navigate stealth their way through a pretty hostile um place i can't remember what are the platforms it was released on it was a i think it's on playstation 4 it's also yeah, on I've, iOS. i've seen this game before i know that it's, it's been it's on some stuff yeah yeah it's, it's actually very. The, it's always on sale. <laughs> it's actually very good. It was originally released as an episodic thing, uh, but now they release it as the full, the full narrative. And yeah, it's, it's pretty it, ballsy it's, of them to release it episodically after it's already all been released. <laughs> elsewhere, yeah. No, it's actually it is very good. Uh, and then finally, for the month rounding things out, is probably the biggest game of the lot, anyway. As far as I'm concerned, is Bravely Default Two that comes out on February 26. I'm very much looking oh. forward to that. Was a big time fan of Bravely Default and its sequel on the 3DS. So yeah, looking forward to what they can come up with on the Switch. All right, quick fire That's round. It. What are we looking forward to, everyone, this month? I'm going to go first. I'm looking forward to Control. Control's going to be good because there's nothing else in the PS5 right now. Heck yeah. yeah. Matt, what are you yeah. looking forward to? Um, Bravely Default 2, for sure. Bravely Default 2. Fantastic. Harvard, what are you looking forward to? <laughs> this is so fast. Uh, I will probably play Choices That Matter and The Heroes Were Lost. Uh, yep. Yep. That's cool. <laughs> Trent, what are, you, what are you looking forward to? I'll play Persona. On the Switch. Heck yeah. Cinefire right. Strikers. 
you know, with that Persona 5 music. As you might notice at the moment, there's not really a lot of things that are coming out on the brand new consoles. And as a result of that, we have had to resort to replaying some older games with some newer tech. Um, because of that, sort of like a bit of more of an interest in games that are particularly replayable. And there are some that may not seem initially super replayable, but I've found personally to be quite good for it. Um, I, For example, I literally just picked up the Jack and Daxter collection on the PlayStation, and I am having a grand time playing uh, GTA mixed with Mario 64 mixed with Tony Hawk's Pro Skater mixed with, like, a shooter, I think. <laughs> I think that's, the like, the list of mechanics in the game. It's really interesting. I'm enjoying playing through it. I don't know if I'll beat it, though, because the game is astonishingly hard. Like, I don't know. Have you guys played Jack 2? Because Jack 2 is just, like criminally difficult for no reason that sounds just very naughty's style design like crash bandicoot spyro the dragon what was the other one blinks and the power of time or whatever blinks, very... blinks the time cat i don't know but it's very like really difficult a bunch of different mechanics put together because the kids will like it you know the kids are into skating so let's put in some skating uh and it's super hard because that's what because the games were back then just what they were yeah no, it is actually like, criminally difficult. There's one level which I'm actually dreading because when I was a child, I bit my controller out of frustration. 
Sorry, she said bit. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> it was bullshit. <laughs> Basically, you're in a sewer, yeah? The sewer sucks. It's full of boys. And you have to protect three boys on your side, but there are many a boy on the other side. And they just run into people and get shot and murdered. And if one of them dies, you lose and you restart the entire thing. It is a 20-minute mission, and it is just complete bullshit. And as a, you know, a seven-year-old child, my only response was, I don't want to break anything by throwing it. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to bite the shit out of the hand of it. <laughs> so That so sounds hard. like... That sounds like a game that's not particularly replayable. <laughs> to... Did I'm... you end up with braces? Like, what, what, so... what's the outcome of this story with the controller? <laughs> well, the controller was fine. It just had like some little bite marks in the corner of it. <laughs> the um, to to take Alan's little story and bring it to the actual topic here, um, we thought it'd be interesting to talk about. I guess games that uh, what makes a game replayable in what terms a... of. Game wanting to bite things. <laughs> what, what makes a game? What makes a game replayable? You know, what kind of qualities are you know, inherent in games that I guess become timeless in the sense that you can pick them up at any point and continue playing them, uh, or, or to to replay them again? And yeah, I there are there are a bunch of games that I've been playing back because I've been over the uh, over the last year I've picked up a hobby in buying all these kind of emulation handhelds from china and um because of that i've been catching up on a lot of old games that i either loved as a kid or didn't get much of a chance to play and um am remedying that now and there are a lot of games that just they they uh they don't become very they're, they're not very replayable in the sense that they, they just don't work anymore <laughs> uh and i think difficulty is, is a good example of one of them um, that I think developers these days have a better understanding on how to challenge people without frustrating them <laughs> no, without driving them nuts um, the issue is that they can't get away with it anymore because like the audience for video games has grown up and now that audience knows when things are busted and so the, the lashback behind it will be much greater than if they just spent more time making it a fairer game. I think so it's are you also that... for gamers to rise up, Alan. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Kids' games are still pretty trash. Have you played the Paw Patrol game? That is like literally the most linear platformer ever. You collect like dog biscuits or whatever it is. I don't know. Trent, and... Trent, I, want to, I want to question why you led this entire discussion with "Have you played the Paw Patrol game?" I am a twenty-four-year-old dude. <laughs> Do you think I played the Paw Patrol game? I don't know. Maybe you have a kid by now. You know, people move to the UK. They have crazy adventures. Maybe think... maybe you stiffed up some pommy. I don't know. I think also. <laughs> I think also um, the the intent on games has kind of changed because older games were definitely there to challenge people, and I guess that kind of came from the arcades and the mm. idea that you know, a video game should be should be a way of dragging people into spending more money on it <laughs> uh, by inserting more 20 cent pieces or whatever. And that really did inform a lot of the console development back in those days as well. But these days, I think video games more about providing a sense of fulfillment that, you know, you're able to get through the game and experience it end to end and feel good about 
it's by the end of it. So one inclusivity it, thing, I think, in all seriousness, though, because you'll see a lot of ways that developers are including features to help people who may not usually finish these games actually finish them, um, which is yeah, good. That's, that, that's a part of it. And like I said, it's it's about making you feel good in terms of playing the game as well. It's not about challenging you as a, as a kind of a thing that needs to be overcome. It's more about giving you an experience that you quite enjoy. So even the difficult games these days, like the Souls games or whatever, are effectively there to um, to be completed. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I think older games are not necessarily interested in actually being able to be finished. And a good example of that, I, you know, I just mentioned Souls games. Dark Souls and whatever, are, they're, they're known to be challenging games, but they're nothing compared to what their predecessors were like. Um so a good oh. example, one that I have been trying to replay is Kingsfield. And Kingsfield was a PlayStation 1 game um, back in the days, and it was the predecessor to Dark Souls. I had many of the same developers that came from uh, on the team. It came from From Software and stuff. But in Dark Souls, oh, sorry, in Kingsfield, you can die about two seconds after starting the game if you, if you step in the wrong direction. So... Yeah, it's just outwardly more hostile. It just doesn't give a shit, and I love that. It it really doesn't care if you can finish the game or not. So, yeah, I, I would suggest that those games are probably not as replayable today. Is there a game that that we all sort of play every year? Because I have a game that I do, and it's Resi Four because that game is just infinitely replayable, and it's like cumulative, and it always changes, like depending on enemy locations and that sort of stuff. It's so much fun. That game is great. Do we all have like a game like that, or am I just insane? No, I do. And my one for sentimental reasons is Pokemon 3rd Gen, but my like, one that I would suggest to be the game you play once every year is Titan Quest, because that is a game which has so many different ways of playing it that you could play it a hundred times and have a different experience each time. That game is so DAE, and I was not expecting it to be DAE. It's, What's it's, DAE? Oh, it does anybody else. It's like hacker speak, basically. <laughs> it's mainframe <laughs> hackery. Like, it was so complicated, because I had never played it, and then I played it beginning oh, about halfway through last year expecting it to be just like Diablo 2 where you pick one class and that is your class. No, and it's then, Final Fantasy 5. You pick yeah, two specialties. And it's a nightmare and I became no, Skeleton the, Lord. The good thing is that it's meant to be too wide so you can't finish on the whole play, the first playthrough so that you just spec into one that you think is interesting and the next time you play it through you just spec into a different one that's, that's more interesting and it's a different game. It's great. I, I love those sorts of games. I need to play more of Titan Quest in honesty. It's it's one of those things where all those sort of action RPGs just have that infinite replayability. And I even I'd say Borderlands, like the first Borderlands before the writing became intolerably awful, like is just it's just a good comfort replayable game. You know? Because it's, nice. it's really more about the mechanics, that one, though. Like, you know, you yeah. get Borderlands or something like that, and you play it with some friends. You know, it's a good shooty-shooty to, like, have a few beers and, like, just do missions and stuff like that. And eventually, like, you know, over over the course of a few hours, you're through the game and bam, done. Yeah. Well, like, I would say that it's harder with a lot of JRPG sort of stuff because the only one that I will actively play again and again is, like, Persona 4, which I think is just because of the fact that I've never done a full social link run of that game because I don't want to look it up. I think that's cheating. I think that's against the point of like playing that video game is to like look up the way to min-max how to have friends. Essentially, like in real life. Yeah, exactly. It's like 
like, why would you buy a book on Half Friends instead of just like going outside having friends? <laughs> Persona, Persona Four is a much more, I think, replayable game than its sequel. I don't think oh, it be... doesn't take a million hours to beat the first chapter. <laughs> well, I was just about to say that, Alan. Thanks for ruining my point. Um, but no, I'll, I was. I'll take it back. I, I've, I've played. I've played Persona Four through maybe three or four times now, and I, I do still. I find it very replayable as well. Um, I I play it for the it, it, for me it's like a good book that I can you know, read again and enjoy the narrative through again. I actually find myself doing pretty much the same thing each time I play. I've never oh, bothered. I wonder to... who you got a romance, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> I who, who could it be? Well, that's. I was just about to say that as well. You keep jumping in there, Alan. Um, no, I've, I know you I, too well, and it's frightening me. <laughs> I've never I've never maxed out my social links with Chie, for example. But every time oh, I do, I kind of I. I beeline, I beeline straight to Risa, and that's pretty much it. Um, but yeah, I, you're I, making I like fun to... of a green jacket girl. Yeah, I don't yes. like it. Um, <laughs> they all suck. It's I've never, girl. I've never actually bothered to to max out the the social links with Yosuke either, um, because he's a he's a bit of a dweeb. But yeah, Kanji's pretty cool. They uh, all anyway, are. they all suck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I enjoy Persona Four because it's like a book, good book. Persona Five is much the same in a way, but it's much less replayable. I think I don't I don't know if I'd bother to go back to it again because it's I, I just 120 hours as opposed to 60 is a big difference. Mm. And yeah. Well, how Persona much does the royal more. content add? Because I was considering playing the royal. That's oh, worth a go. Uh, Kasumi is a really good character. I do enjoy her. And I think she adds to the cast, and they've integrated her into the main plot in a way that feels good, uh, natural. It's not like she just turns up one day and it's like, "Hey, I'm DLC character." They didn't just do the Marie strategy and just plop her in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, she she does add to it, so it, it is worth it if you are feeling like a Persona Five replay. Um, to go back to your point, I guess the games that I could play each year, I quite like the Fire Emblem on the GBA. That's one I find myself replaying quite often um for a couple of reasons nostalgia that was my first fire emblem game and i love fire emblem so that kind of gives me warm and fuzzies that i replay my first fire emblem game but also i think one thing i do like about some of these older games that i make that helps make them replayable for me is that they're simpler so while i can appreciate for example what Three Houses, the, the most recent Fire Emblem. While I can appreciate what that game brings to the table, and I did think that the increased emphasis on the Harry Potter-like school environment, wander around, and the deeper character interactions and whatever was all good, it does add a lot to it. Whereas the original Fire Emblem is nice and succinct it's, and it's way more focused. elegant. Yeah, elegant and focused, and I I actually appreciate that in a lot of cases for the games that I replay, because I do think video games are getting more complex these days in terms of what they're throwing at players, the depth of the narrative and stuff. So being able to go back and experience a simpler time as such is, is a nice thing. I mean, I like when beats work in games, like, you know, a lot of games, like the older games, they just have like good beats, like, like, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics, you know, the snow thing, like, you know, just throwing some snow, it's a good, fun, wholesome experience. And you oh, learn into the say, game. Trent, 
Trent, I'm not in, I'm not entirely sure you ever actually played beyond the tutorial of Final Fantasy Tactics events. I think you maybe just you just every so often you replay the tutorial and that's basically it. Because yeah, you want to see you know, get shit pushed in. <laughs> that's, that's the only part of the game I ever hear you talking about. So. Uh, well, well, no, there's like a part after that where you're on like the island thing and then you got the little rabbit people. Like, you know, I played the after it. Thing. <laughs> It's a, thing it's with a people. The country, the country, <laughs> the mods. <laughs> uh, I was also really confused because you said Final Fantasy Tactics and throwing snowballs, and I instantly thought, Ramza doesn't throw snowballs. Yeah, yeah I play advanced. I play well, the excuse me, oh, oh, I'm sure you'll find oh, that Ramza's not in Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. That was that was my little like inner nerd just coming out and being upset that. Oh, is that what that was, been... Alan? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. I just want to see more Ramza. I want more tactics games. I hope that sixteen is more tacticsy. It's not going to be. It better be, or I'll cry. I'll it's cry. not going to be. It's the same director as um, the Last Remnant. Last Remnant. What? Yes. The game has a banging soundtrack, so like what? The same. It's the same director as Last Remnant, so it's going to be dark, very dark, I think, which yeah, is they, fine. There was blood in the trailer, which is more than any other Final Fantasy game has ever done. That's not true. Final Fantasy Type Zero was pretty dark and bloody. I haven't played that game. I should. Uh, includes it includes Chocobo Death, so I can't replay that game for that reason. I'm not even kidding. Uh, it, it there's a Chocobo that gets killed in the opening scene of Final <laughs> Fantasy is... Type Zero, and that's actually put me off replaying the game because it, otherwise it's it's quite good. But yeah, I, d I don't like seeing Chocobos die. I don't but care I... about people, but Chocobos, it's not, that's not cool. This is completely unrelated to anything, but this reminded me, when I was a child, I had a friend who had a bootleg copy of the Garfield movie, and she <laughs> wouldn't watch it with me because Odie ran away in it, and she got sad. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that was the first thing that I thought of, was the Garfield movie. Starring Bill Murray. What a great movie. Definitely not a replayable movie. <laughs> what are you talking about? I watch that movie every day. I wake up and I watch Garfield. And I watch Cat in the City for the second time. It's terrible. Yeah. Anyway, um, we should pick some music. What music should we pick? Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Let's just let's give Trent this one. Alright. Yes. Snowball fight theme. that all out of the way we have a review coming up written by 
our very own Harvard on a game that's coming out very, very soon. Um, and he's going to talk about it now. Isn't this natural? <laughs> Isn't this so like natural? This? Why am I what like a this? fascinating intro. Yeah, yeah. Elijah is already out now, and it's a good game, and I don't know how to pronounce it. It's O L I J A. So make of that what you will. Uh, Oliger, I think it's Oliger. Oliger, I don't know. Oliger but what's like interesting Oligen? about it? Not. <laughs> what's interesting about it is that it reminds me a lot of an excellent game called uh, Hyper Light Drifter, which is a Zelda-like, and it reminds me of that because you're playing a similar lonely protagonist going around this mysterious world and exploring stuff. But Oliger is a side-scroller, and it has platforming elements. And it made me really curious because, first of all, is is platforming in 2021 still engaging? Like, is that what you put into a game to make someone be like, oh, I'm playing and I'm doing stuff? And if they had a game that was literally just jumping on platforms, I think I watched Matt's video on Super Mario World, and I was thinking wow, it's been a while since they've released a game that's just jumping on platforms. Would that still do well, or is that still worthwhile? Or do you need some kind of new gimmick to make what's a really basic plat- basic game mechanic now interesting? I... Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's like, because for most for the most part, I think kind of Metrovanias have taken over as the platformer, the, the standard way to do a platformer. And yet Metroidvania's aren't really about the platforming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, they're not, right? There's moments where you need to be precise, but, preci- but for the most part, you're adventuring, collecting stuff. You could take out the platforming and it would still work. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, for me, it's kind of a... It's an indication that a lot of these genres are all becoming very fluid. Like, what? how many first-person shooters are true RPG, first-person shooters yeah. and not just RPGs with... You know, because they have all the numbers going, you know, floating over their heads and whatever, the Borderlands or Destiny's kinds of things, or Assassin's Creed, you know, open world games, they're all melding in with RPGs and stuff as well. I, I think that genre has become very fluid, and the idea that you'd have a game that's just one particular type of gameplay is pretty outdated these days. I'm going to say why that is, Matt. It's because it's hard to monetize platforming. That's yeah. really it. Well, I mean, RPGs are very easy, easily monetized thing. I, I, you know, RPGs and that—that that was more in talking about in reference, I guess, to shooters. Platformers are—they don't really. I mean, they—they they take some elements, I guess, from RPGs, but they are more tied in with adventure games. I think, like Oliger, doesn't seem—it doesn't have RPG mechanics, right? Very, very slight ones. Like, you can improve a character a little bit, but you can skill your way through it and you don't actually need to do it at all. Yeah, so it's more the adventure game kind of crossover, isn't it? It's yeah, about yeah. Ex- I was just exploration and points. Um, paid $1.50 to jump higher. <laughs> what kind of game yeah. would that be? Yeah. I'm sure that exists on mobile. That's the thing that gets me, is that I'm sure someone's tried it and it's just made no money because it's. Well, when you take, yeah. when you take platformers and turn them into easily monetized um, mobile games, you get the Endless Runner, really. Yeah, you get Mario, you, Super Mario. You get Mario Metal Slug, Slug, basically. You get, you die, and then you put another coin, and then you try again. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. God, they haven't made a Metal Slug game in years. That's disappointing. They've made many in the style of it. There's there's Japanese developers who, who love that style of game and are making new ones every few months, if you're interested. 
I can you send me some later? <laughs> yeah, like this is dev called Astroport, and that's like, like all they do is just metal slug style mecha games. It's really cool. They give oh, yeah. you new sprites for every game. It's great. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. Send that. Send it. You know what would be fun? A gambling game where it's a platformer and like the like the all the slot things are actually like a monopoly style thing, and like you're like you have to jump. And like the the things jump, and then you got like land or something. It's like you get like an extra coin, and then you can like gamble more, and then you can go up more further. And then, just like... describe pachinko. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, recently, this is not the topic anymore, but I'm really interested in this. They had this new article about how casinos were having trouble attracting the hip youth, so they were going to start making games that were more skill based, so that you could gamble but like win money for doing well in like a, a shooter or a platformer. And I was thinking, first of all, where are these games? Because I haven't seen them. But also, what would I do with them? You know, would I get really good and start winning money? Or would the casino lords find a way to win over me, you know? Yeah, I mean, this this is a way off the topic that we're actually going to talk about. This <laughs> Sorry. But, um, How dare you, Harvard? I've been, uh, for, for work that I've done, I've been to kind of conventions that are for game, gaming, as in gambling gaming. And the way they talk about games is no different to the way that video game companies talk about games so those the 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 two industries as such are much closer than i think a lot of people even realize i mean we all criticize microtransactions and whatever and loot boxes as being gambling but the 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 mindset the way that people think about the games that they're making and the way that it's all been turned into content um is actually there's a lot of crossover between the two but anyway back to platformers um yeah What's your, what's your favorite platformer in the last, like, 10 years? Because I can really only think of maybe, like, Rayman Origins slash Legends. That's a great game. They're yes. great. They're really good. Because they are the only, like, dedicated platformers that I've actually finished. I I didn't mind that ukulele game that came out that was the 2D one. Uh, Impossible Lair, I think it's called. Yeah, Impossible Lair. That was pretty fun. It wasn't anything amazing. But, I, you know, I've played the New Super Mario Brothers games and they all just blur together and they're not interesting to me at all in the slightest, which is a shame because Yoshi's Island is like one of my favorite games of all time. And it's something that I've played on the Switch quite a lot, again, because it's you know endlessly unique and strange and bizarre. And I just don't see a lot of that outside of the indie sphere because Celeste did really well, obviously. Like Celeste nailed it and did extremely well. But, you know, outside of... Super Meat Boy in 2010. I can't think of anything else that has really grabbed a lot of people and been like, this is a game that you need to play. You know? Well, the indies, my mind is, oh, sorry. Sorry, the indies all do Metroidvanias, that's the thing. Yeah, they, that's, that's, I think because, I mean, as we were talking about in the last segment and video games and difficulty being, having changed over time, I think part of this is, is this, that those kinds of precise pixel perfect platformers that the earlier Mario Brothers games were or whatever, they are they were there to challenge people. They were there as an objective to overcome as opposed to something to be enjoyed. And I think a Metrovania is a more game to be enjoyed and experienced and completed ultimately. Mario Brothers doesn't care if you finish it or not, because if you do finish it then you've proven that you're a good gamer or whatever. Um, and that is a holdover, I guess, to when platformers couldn't be too lengthy in terms of their size because there was limited 
processing power available and levels couldn't be too large and so they made them difficult instead. So I think that's part of the way that things have changed. But yeah, I think I think overall it's for the better. I wasn't a, I'm not a big fan of you know true platformers, hardcore platformers, whatever you want to call them. I enjoy when there's a bit of a cross genre. Um, I really enjoyed Bloodstained, for example. That was a good game. Uh, and there's one coming out. There's a remake of um, Prince of Persia: Sands of Time, which is 3D, but I think it holds true to a lot of the earlier platformer mechanics as well, just with a additional combat system in there. But the, the way that you move through the levels, the way that the levels are designed, are definitely there to to test your platforming skills. Yeah, that was that's a very interesting thing too. That there's platforming that previously was in a lot of legacy series. It's not just been taken out. Like Tomb Raider, for example, doesn't have any platforming in it anymore. Exactly. Whereas yeah. there was heaps of it in the old games, and it sucked. And so <laughs> it's interesting to see how the the industry is going to move on from this eventually. Well, it's again, it's a challenge thing, isn't it? Because the Tomb Raider games, the platforming was there to make things more difficult, and developers don't want to do that anymore. They want you to get through the game. Yeah. And platforming's a thing. Platforming's a thing that you can fail. I think that's the thing. Yeah. And it's kind of an on and off state. You either succeed at it or you fail at it. There's no middle ground. You either get through the level and or you, you miss the jump and fall down a cliff and die. Well, I mean, so look at the critical reaction to Ukulele One. Like that game is not that different from Banjo kazooie right? Like it is pretty much the exact same thing. But it got slaughtered on release. It got That was because I think it that was because it was a little bit generic, I think. But yeah, those kinds of collectathon platformers were an interesting middle step <laughs> in that by shifting the focus away from making those pixel perfect jumps to just tracking down a billion different items, the developers were able to shift the platforming towards that kind of experiential rather than challenge based gameplay. And then people realized that nobody wants to track down 3 billion different jiggies and music notes and stardusts and you're saying blocks you of don't candy or whatever Gex 3d into the gecko <laughs> no i really i really don't um <laughs> and then not? we've moved on from those since so any developer that wants to create a platformer that's in that kind of mold needs to think about how to still have that collecting element without go going Back. so over the top with it but <laughs> yeah that uh, ukulele is a good example of that because the second one was pretty well received wasn't it yeah, the impossible there. It's good. Yeah. Did they? Did they? It was it re well received because they dropped a lot of that nineties crap. Like I no, feel like it's just first... Donkey Kong Country. It's just uh, Donkey Kong Country. Uh, see, the problem <laughs> with the first one, um, because that's the only one which I've had any influence with, um, is it's very like generic nineties platformer, and a lot of that jank which nineties platformers have. They're like, this is good. This is what we need in our game for nostalgia reasons, and it plays like shit because of that. Like when you like in, make a game influenced from like the past, you need to like realize that it wasn't really good game design back then. Like you need to be a little bit more expressive and start making some better ideas. And, you know, it was just crap. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why I'm interested in this topic because I think that out of all the different game mechanics, platforming is one that the whole industry has kind of grown past. And it's become Assassin's Creed where you just hold a button and you run. Yeah, or like there's different ways to do it, but it's not a core part of games anymore. And even if you're a Jack and Daxter thing, I think that's a game towards the end of the platformer lifecycle where they were like, 
let's make a collectathon, but let's also put in different mechanics because I don't think people are going to be interested in just pure platforming anymore. No, because they realized that their audience was like growing to be like 13 and 14. They wanted Jack <laughs> to swear. And yeah, they wanted Jack <laughs> to swear. And, and I he think said, he says damn in the first cutscene as a like, I was like seven and I was like, oh, he said the D word, dude. <laughs> I think it's just a reflection on how simple platforming is. Like, as I mentioned earlier, platforming's an on or off thing. Either you've made the jump or you haven't. There's no middle ground. There's no way to escalate it either. So if you were to make a platformer that's a pure platformer, you're just doing that jumping thing over and over again. And while, for example, Nintendo seems to be very good at finding ways to make that interesting across the course of an entire game um, by continually to introducing new ways of engaging with levels and just making the levels really creative and interesting to explore uh, most developers don't have that level of skill and where you can throw rpg mechanics into a game and then have that sense of escalation because you're getting better loot you're getting better equipment it, it's all and it can all be balanced out using scientific formulas and it's all quite simple to implement is an escalation system there's no s way of there's no real way of escalating platformers in a way that modern audiences will enjoy. You can make them more difficult and more pixel perfect, but that's just going to frustrate players. So I think that's why platformers as a distinct genre in which the only thing you do is platforming is really out of vogue. That's was, my take on it anyway. I was thinking about this, and it's the idea that, you know, in an RPG or something, there's always that constant reward, whereas in a platformer, the reward is you making the jump. If you know what I mean. Yeah, there's there's that there's it's a that delayed there's that kind of delayed intrinsic rewards. Yeah, and there's a delayed gratification to it too, because if you don't make the jump, then you've got to keep trying to, to make that jump until you make the jump. And I remember as a kid having much more patience, but sitting down and trying to make that jump in Mario. What was the eight three? I think the last level before the boss was just a nightmare of one because it had there's the stupid, stupid jumps. maze level. Not the maze level, no. This one had, like, one block things that you needed to run jump on and run jump off again to get to the end. Anyway, it was a terrible level. Anyway, I sat down and had the patience to do it as a kid. I wouldn't be able to do it today because the actual feeling, the good, the bit where you feel good because you've got through that level is really dependent on you actually getting through the level in the first place. So there is that huge long wait until you feel good about what you've done, whereas... With RPG mechanics, you kind of feel good immediately. You know, you've killed the enemy, you've got the experience points, you've got that new bit of loot. There is a and, tangible reward. To yeah, it. and it's immediate. It's just constant. It's immediate. It's like, you know, snap, snap, snap. You know, prize, prize, prize. It's very easy to make it energetic, the reward system. And Imagine if you had Diablo 2 and instead of getting loot, it was just a blood explosion whenever you killed an enemy. Like, yeah, it's cool, but I want loot. Well, that's, that's just postal. <laughs> That's, you describe Postal. Um, to be fair though, Postal 2 is pretty cool. No, for yeah, me it'd be yeah, more like if you, if you were to take an RPG, right, and you were, let's take, say, Dark Souls as an example, right? You've got this RPG and the only thing you can do at any point in time is try to take on this one boss, right? And if there you are don't defeat the, the boss... Like that. <laughs> well, no, there's always... I got stuck in places through... Uh, Dark Souls, but when I got really stuck, I felt like I could go do some exploring, or I could, you know, um, try to work out bits of the narrative puzzle or whatever instead. There, there was always a way of using my time, whereas 
if I was if it was like a platform, if we were to take the platform of philosophy and put it into Dark Souls, the only thing you'd be able to do is just keep trying that boss over and over again. Like, that's it. It's the um, it's the old Super Mario Sunshine issue as well, where you know you have to do the first seven levels in that order, and if you don't want to do that that horrible nightmarish disaster pinball level, then too bad you're doing it. Well, that's the other thing. Yeah, platformers platformers are kind of linear. Um, Traditional platformers. It's hard to make more than one jump. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and pretty much every other genre is more about being open these days uh, and being non-linear in approach, even even visual novels and whatever, being quite you know, flexible in terms of how you approach the, the game. So these are all things. I think platformer, the platformer itself is a useful mechanic, but it's just a tiny little thing and it's not enough anymore to focus an entire game around. Yeah, I think that's you need more. Yeah. You, need, you need to sell me more as a consumer than just you jump. You know, you jump, but you're a cat. Or you yeah. jump, but Bowser has Jack's theme song from Final Fantasy X, and it's rad. Oh, no, the thing I love about the Mario platformers, and Bowser's Fury is a really good example of that, it's just the creativity it never stops. <laughs> it's like you wander down this little path, and then you're experiencing some kind of new thing that you have never you haven't experienced before in the game and they use jump pads and they've got like rings to to shoot through they go aerial you know there are bits where you're kind of floating around and the cat mechanic you know allowing you to climb walls and whatever these are all things nintendo has this way of turning its platformers into just this gauntlet of oddball experiences and i love that about Nintendo's that's what ones. mario galaxy is though mario galaxy is just a whole bunch of different ideas strung well that's what people planets. loved about that's yeah. what people loved about Mario Galaxy, with good reason. You know, it was all just—it's just this endless wave of creativity. It's almost impossible for anyone else to do it. Like you just you, it, actually thinking about how much creative energy goes into those Mario games is just obscene. There's no way any other developer out there has that kind of talent. Well, it was why Astro Bot was so cool because, like, it was a VR game, and you know, the platformer was very unique um, for the time. I will say, actually, yeah, yeah that Astro's Playroom, the yeah. demo thing. The, the free one that comes on the PlayStation 5, that's a really good really another cool. example of it, that it's just endlessly like creative. Every step you take, you're doing something different and it's a different look and it's a different experience. That's really cool. But it's a people call it a platformer, but how much jumping do you do in it? Not that much. Well, how many platformers do you know, Matt, where you can unlock the PlayStation 2 multi-tab? I know. It's pretty cool. I, I, best game ever. I think... I think that was probably the best thing the PlayStation 5 has done yet in terms of getting people on board with it. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, that, yeah, basically, platformers are still relevant, but the not, platformer as a genre is not, I think, yeah. is the best way to put it. Yeah. I Can we just say that Matt missed the best music segue of all time? Just imagine Alan saying that Bowser's Fury theme and the background's going, like, dun, 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 dun. Okay, uh, okay, uh, yeah, get the Bowser's Fury theme.
as you will know if you were a frequenter of the site, uh, Matthew Zainsbury has a quite uh, keen interest in making sure that games do not have shit stories. Because unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of games have shit stories. And Not just uh, a lot. I'd say the majority of. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I really like the, the story where it was actually Antifa who was controlling the world. I liked that Ubisoft game. I liked that one a lot. That was really, really smart. Ah, uh, speaking of Ubisoft, that's a good way to <laughs> Let's jump in. We're talking about. Let's talk about Ubisoft. No, okay. So here's the thing. A lot of games, I, I don't know how many people who are listening to the podcast know this, but a lot of games bring their narrative writers on quite late, well after they've already desired, decided what they're actually making. So they'll have the world, the mechanics, they'll have it all basically set in stone. And then they'll bring in a writer this to, poor fellow who has to <laughs> to somehow to somehow give it all some kind of context and then call it a story. And Ubisoft is quite infamous for doing this. I remember one of the Tom Clancy games, the Ghost Recon. I think the first Ghost one of Tsushima. <laughs> yeah, no, not Ghost of Tsushima. Ghost Recon. Um, although Ghost of Tsushima is a good example, we'll probably talk about it in a minute. But Ghost Ghost Recon. I remember that uh, back when they were getting close to releasing that game, Ubisoft, about a month before release, maybe two months before release, put out this big notice saying that they've brought on some pretty big name writer to to pen the story. But I remember thinking, hang on, <laughs> you're doing this at the last minute, why? Um, and yeah, it just, when you actually play these games and you think about, so when you play these games and you realise that a lot in a lot of cases the narrative writer has been brought on at the last minute, it suddenly becomes quite clear that the games don't do a good job of reflecting the story. The mechanics are kind of separate. It's like you've got the game and then you've got this story that's kind of been pasted over the top. And the link between them is quite sh uh, shallow and superficial. And that happens a lot with AAA games. I'm pretty sure Ghost of Tsushima started out as just a open world thing. And then they decided they were going to make it about Japan or something. I doubt that Ghost of Tsushima started as a Japanese game and then they found mechanics to work around it to make it kind of fit because a lot of the mechanics in Ghost of Tsushima feel like you may as well be playing Red Dead Redemption or Cyberpunk or whatever. So, yeah, for... It's less than Cyberpunk, though, so, like, it's better. <laughs> and, I mean, the, th the thing that kind of got me thinking about this topic was... It's a small game, and I know you, know, you rolled your eyes, Alan, but it's the they made a video game take on ReZero, which is an anime thing. It's an isekai, so it's nonsense fan service and all this kind of stuff. But it would have been very easy, that game, to just kind of turn it into this visual novel plus tactics RPG. That's what it almost looked like it wanted to be. But when you get to the tactics RPG bit, because you're playing as a character who's generally pretty hopeless at fighting, they've instead still left you in control of that character, but you've got to do other things on the battlefield to kind of manipulate it so that all the characters that are doing the fighting that you don't control are the ones who actually can win, like you can blow up bridges and whatever to manipulate the battlefield. And it's a really good example of a game where they've had everything about the game and then they've found mechanics to suit the narrative. And I think I prefer that way of doing it. I would prefer the, that developers know the story, the narrative, they don't necessarily need to know the exact specifics, but they know what story they're trying to tell about a game before they try to stick mechanics into it. 
Yeah. I'm pretty sure, you know, Cyberpunk probably started the same way. I don't think they would have started thinking, oh, we're going to make, you know, Cyberpunk, and then we're going to find a solution on how to make a Cyberpunk game. Um, I think they went into that game thinking, well, we're going to have Keanu Reeves in your head. He's going to be in your head, and he's going to be yelling at you. Well, even even game just the... <laughs> even just even just the theme, I would imagine they started thinking, oh, we're going to make an open world game, you know, um, or you, we're going to make like our version of GTA, which is what Cyberpunk really feels like. Just GTA, yeah. Whereas a game like Cloudpunk, which is a very indie game, which I highly recommend, <laughs> I turned to it when Cyberpunk disappointed me and I was not disappointed by Cloudpunk. It's a very punk game. I'm pretty sure Cloudpunk was, they, they went in deciding we are going to make this cyberpunk style game and they found mechanics and whatever to fit the game that they wanted to make the narrative they wanted to tell so uh, yeah, at it, the risk of me returning back to pathologic every single time we talk in the podcast i can't imagine pathologic not having a story like that <laughs> it would make no sense mechanically or narratively or any like any way it would just be completely nonsense you know? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Pathologic was like these guys wrote a theatre play and they realised they there's no money in theatre, so we better make <laughs> a video game out of it instead. <laughs> so, they realised the best way to do it was to make something out of sticks and glue and then sell it on like Green Man Gaming. <laughs> but when you think about it, I mean, patholo Pathologic is such a good example that every bit of that game is tuned towards telling the story. Like every terrible mechanic that's in there and it just, every like, piece of gameplay that sucks and makes you upset is there to make you upset <laughs> no, that kind of it that that enhances the themes right the like point. yeah yeah exactly it's that was a game that was willing to you know not be good in order to tell uh, <laughs> tell a good story and that's it that's it's, for me that's that's more important i would prefer playing pathologic than cyberpunk because pathologic actually has some kind of soul to it and it has a point and it's telling me something you know it's, it's the actually, only game that it's been art it's only it's anything that's ever actively begged you to not change the difficulty i know it's like it tells i, lo I love you, how this game sucks it's hard but that's the point <laughs> yeah i know i love how you turn it on it's like oh we've got this easy mode but we'd rather you don't play it that yeah. way you know, the entire purpose of this. We'd game. rather you be frustrated. We'd rather you want to throw your controller at the screen. You know, it's okay to break the TV screen. Just it's okay to fail and then have the director yell at you and call you an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> the game actually literally does. If you haven't played Pathologic, you absolutely got to download this thing and play it. The game really does genuinely beg you to not play it on easy mode. It's pretty funny. I love it. But yeah, that's a good example of a game where they almost certainly had the narrative in place before, and then they tried to figure out a way to make the mechanics you know work to the story <laughs> or not work at all and in <laughs> return extremely work <laughs> well i think it i think pathologic is a really great example of a game that i don't think plays well conventionally but what oh, it does oh, do <laughs> what it does do yes. is play to the narrative you know that's there's, there's a difference there i think it plays well in the sense that what it does enhances the story it's telling i mean have you played the lisa games matt i have not Okay, they are extremely brutal, like, JRPG-style games, very earthboundy in terms of, like, combat. But there are choices that you make that are, like, um, do you want to have your party member permanently die? It's permadeath, like, there's, they are dead forever. Or do you want to lose your left arm? And the combat system in the game is, like, a WASD, where it's, like, uppercut, 
um, gut punch, left hook, right hook. If you get rid of your left arm, you cannot do a left hook anymore. So you've just lost all the combos that you have involving your left arm. It's actually really interesting. It's one of those things where it takes a lot of balls to have that sort of narrative actually impact the game. And you can tell they planned it out ahead. It was like, this is how it's going to work. This is how the characters are like going to react to this like, story event and see how we can make it really impactful for the player while they're doing it in a way that's not just like superficial like oh wow you shot the bad guy that's pretty bad it's pretty good uh oh you know like it's it's quite good you should actually try them i think you might like those games i'll check it out you know i'd, I'd much rather play something like that than i don't know avengers <laughs> i think that's or one. anthem well these are good examples you know anthem's a great example they they had they had decided they were going to make this open world space shooter. Wasn't it called then, Dylan? Wasn't it called Bob Dylan for a while? <laughs> probably. It was but, called Dylan. <laughs> but it's but you can see, I, I would imagine I, I have no way of actually proving this, but I would imagine that the original Mass Effect, for example, was a game where they had the narrative kind of already in mind before they started to build the game. And then they made the game work to the narrative. Whereas Anthem they, they being EA's as overlords, told them what game they were going to make, and then they tried to make something that fit within the game that they were making. So the difference is quite—you you can definitely feel the difference. I think when the narrative writer is brought on late, as opposed to when they've gone in with the narrative already kind of set in stone. Has, has anyone here played Disco Elysium? No, I'm waiting for the console release. That comes I'm also year. waiting. I'm literally waiting for the exact same thing. Yeah, okay. So we're all on the same page because I've heard that that game is just astonishingly well-written. And it's Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. I've, the, the little bits of it I've seen and everybody keeps telling me that I need to play it because they know I like my narrative games. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to love that thing. The that, that, that game... They went up on stage and thanked Marx for providing them with, like, education on... <laughs> Oh, did they? I missed that. That's yeah, cool. it was yeah, on the Game Marks Awards. And Engels for, like, yeah, Marks and Engels. It was, it was genuinely, I, we thank Marks and Engels for giving us interesting things to write about or something like that. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, the, that would have gone down really well the, with the gamers, but I mean, they all clapped awesome. because they were all like, oh. <laughs> yeah, they all clapped and then the Steam review bombed it on Steam. Yeah, like, who are these guys again? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's pretty cool. I would say even New Vegas is pretty good at that too. I don't know how much you've played of new vegas but there is there is a uh, faction in that game that is just astonishingly evil but then you get to them and their leader starts talking about the hegelian dialect and it's like what the f like how they've actually thought through this world in a meaningful way rather than just being like the fallout 3 approach where should you nuke a town or should you not no, i was gonna i thought you were gonna say fallout 76 then Fallout 76 is definitely a good example of a game that was there made before they bothered to... Yeah, there, <laughs> it was a game that was made before they decided how they were going to put a story into it. That was released before they put a story into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I played it without... A, I, if there is a story, I played it without a story. It was okay. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think it was as bad as people made it out to be. It definitely has some issues. It was It was janky and fun in its own little unique way. Wasn't there a time where, like, someone, like, did a bunch of nukes and it blew up the server or something? Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was part of the game. Sounds about right. Yeah. It's yeah. great. <laughs> Can I also say one interesting thing about the narrative designer thing? 
is that it's also very interesting when they when they finish writing the story and then they realize they don't have enough money to actually make it. Uh, this is more of like a Japan PS1, PS2 era problem. But there's lots of games like Xenosaga and oh, what are some other good examples where they've written an amazing story and then they don't have the budget to actually make the game for it. So it ends up being this really interesting think piece that sucks to play. Well, I know I, the other thing I love about Japanese games is when video games take an awful long time to come out in Japan uh, by Japanese developers. You just know it's because somebody's gone and written a story that's so bloody complex, no one can figure out how to turn it into a game. And I do they mean, of course, yeah, I, I, I do oh, mean, of course, Nomura. You'd know, you just know that Nomura has written the entire game and he's just thrown that on the programmer's desk and said, no, here I, is the game, you've got to make the game. And they're like, I have no idea how to make this into a video <laughs> game. And they just, they struggle with it for years after. So that's that's Nomura's approach. No, I, that's not his approach. His approach is standing behind a programmer and shouting, but what if you had more belts? <laughs> give more belts. You see Donald, give him belts. That's, that's his style. I would say Donald, that. give Donald belts. That's I. Big. I just Donald don't. doesn't dude. Donald doesn't need belts. He ain't got a. He don't wear pants. Yeah, he doesn't have pants, but he has belts for some reason. Yeah, he's got belts. No, okay. Here's the Donald conundrum that is so so disturbing when you actually think about it. Donald Duck wears a shirt and no pants, right? But then when Donald Duck comes out of the shower or having a swim, he Sorry. puts a towel around his pants around his waist. What is with that? Because he needs to dry himself. Yeah. No, he's not drying himself. He's covering himself up. But that means that any other time when he's not just had a shower, he's just... I hope free. you know that it took all of my effort to not say something extremely awful just then. <laughs> like, like, I'm going I'm to make a skip past this conversation. Does, I play... it, does it rhyme with duck? Donald Duck? You know, no, Donald it does not. It does not. <laughs> it was not what are we talking about, I guess? I mean, it'd be like if, like, Donkey Kong came out the shower, right? And he's not wearing a tie, but they, he puts a towel around him. It's like, everybody'd be <laughs> no, like, no, whoa, this is pretty longer. creepy. <laughs> it's a bikini. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, played, um, I played Final Fantasy VII Remake the first time. Oh, and have you? I didn't beat it because it wouldn't let me stream the end of the game, and I got very upset about that. <laughs> um, no spoilers, then, Alan. Oh yeah, spoilers for this game that came out a year ago, and that you can just go to YouTube. No, but how thirsty is that game? It's like everybody wants to just fuck. It's like the whole a, game. It's That's it. Pour it up though. It, the amount of or or sounds, you know. I like, know. It's just so. I, I was honestly fascinated with it because, you know, well, amongst other things, everyone was like, oh, they've, they've decreased Tifa's boob size. This is going to be such an SGW game. That game is thirsty the as The horniest ah. game I think I've ever played that isn't instantly yeah. horny. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I love it. The the dance scene is maybe one of the best things I've ever seen. Oh, movie. it's so good, isn't it? Like, it's also, genuinely good. That, it's, that squatting minigame has the best cover of the battle song I have ever ever seen in my life i i genuinely could not get over it no but the thing actually more seriously the thing that makes final fantasy 7 remake so good is you just know that if they didn't already have that entire thing planned out like the narrative oh, going in then a lot of the yeah. a lot of the humor would miss as well like the 
when they go into the gladi- gladiatorial battle uh, and the big house kind of pops out and that's the enemy that you have to fight. <laughs> and it's such a it's such a funny reference back to when you actually did have to fight houses as kind of enemies in Final Fantasy VII, the original. That scene, that wouldn't have happened if they hadn't really thought about that, you know, in advance. And actually, when um, Aerith and Tifa uh, go and do their dress-up thing and just the subtle way that they've, kind of changed that scene you know with the where what's his name oh don giovanni (laughs) don giovanni character um and they go and pretend to become his concubines only to to beat the living shit out of everybody um the way that they rework they the way they've added in the like the dojo cerberus stuff though is so just egregiously frustrating because no one should know about dojo cerberus Like it is so bad, and the fact that even the even the plot ghosts, even even the, the Mooras, push the main characters away from Dojo Cerberus. Like, no, 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 you don't want to see this. No, get away, <laughs> get away from this. Don't want to see deep ground. <laughs> what are you talking about? What is Genesis? And they reference Genesis, and it's so infuriating. <laughs> no, I just I, I I love how they've. Ah. The, the thing about Final Fantasy VII Remake is that it is kind of a flip. It's, it completely subverts the original Final Fantasy VII while keeping the same basic plot. That couldn't have worked if they didn't really have it planned out, like written out in very explicit detail before they started to, to program it. And you can tell the bits where they've um, they've not had so much narrative to work with. The two chapters where you're kind of oh, wandering ghost, around just... The ghost zone? No, no, the two chapters where you're wandering around doing little missions for people, the downtime chapters oh that's just filler that's literally yeah, just, that, we, we couldn't make the game longer Shit. well that that filler <laughs> that filler stuff that filler stuff quite obviously didn't have you know narrative worked out going into it. they added what they needed to to pad out the timing and those chapters feel very unnecessary to the rest of the game precisely because they were less planned they were clearly less planned before development started on them so yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with Final Fantasy VII with the next one. Because... Wait for Zack to come back. (laughs) No, Aerith is going to survive. Like, she's not going to die now because they've set the plot up in such a way that she's not going to die. But where I was certain they were going to do that and be really pissed off with it before I... What if I kill someone else? No, they're not going to because the the way they've set the, the narrative up to subvert the original Final Fantasy VII... It would make less sense, I think, if they kill a character now. That's what they want you to think. The <laughs> that's a. But like I said, I wasn't on board with that. I thought that was going to annoy me going into remake. But then I didn't expect them to just flip the game completely on its head, and in such an impressive way. So I'm totally on board with them keeping Aerith now. I'm also looking forward to meeting Vincent. I can't wait to see what they do with Vincent because make the deep ground dude. I'm not even joking. Nah. They'll, they'll do Doja Cerberus stuff with him, and it's going to make nah. me upset. It's going to make me really upset. Because and it's going to ruin <laughs> Kate Shee again. No, no, no. Because Final Fantasy VII is so, you know, um, thirsty, I reckon they're going to go. Gonna, I reckon they're going to camp him up big time. He's going to be great. He's going to be so good. He's going to be like... No, he'll be Shadow the Hedgehog. <laughs> no, he's going se- to be sexy vampire to, a, to the max. He'll be sexy vampire Shadow the Hedgehog, and he'll brood, and he'll just be upset all the time. No, and he'll no, be emo, and he'll sparkle. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be emo and sparkle, I reckon. That's my thing. He's going to be great. Uh, these are my predictions. Zach Fair is alive. 
I think that's going to happen because they keep referencing that he's not dead or something, or like he'll become the new Cloud, Cloud will die, and Zack will take over or some nonsense like that for a segment. Um, alternatively, Genesis is now like a bigger character for some stupid reason, and Angeal comes back and pisses on the grave of everyone that he loves. Terrible character. I can't wait for Nomura to Nomura the shit out of him. I can't wait. I can't wait to see Gact return. It's going to be awesome. Or, or alternatively, all the characters just shack up and bonk for the next two chapters. No, they're all going to die like Entirely that. possible. They're all going to die like that. did. Actually, I, the one thing that really surprised me is after, like, Jesse died and Wedge lives, I was like, oh, they're going to make Wedge live. That's kind of all right. And then they just throw him out a window. <laughs> they just they yeet him. <laughs> it's amazing. Wedge, is, Wedge was the chubby one, wasn't he? Yeah, Wedge is the cat The cat guy. Yeah. The yeah, one no. defining feature is that he liked cat, and I like cat. So I like <laughs> So Biggs, Biggs was the hot one. Yeah, Biggs is um is uh, the guy who was the voice actor for Balthia. Ah, oh, right. Same dude, yeah. Is it? I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, the guy he's instant, pretty, he, instantly he's, knew, because I was like, he's a dickhead, and he's smarmy. It's Balthia. <laughs> he was pretty hot. <laughs> and on that note <laughs> I was pretty that? upset they they killed off Jesse they killed off a lot of people I was very upset about that actually if they hurt my lane I'm going to hunt them all down and kill them all it's like hurting Nanako you do not hurt Nanako anyway uh, we're going to leave it there we're going to play the the music from Final Fantasy 7 that plays during the pull up slash squat game because it's the best song of all time. And I think I've remembered everything. Well, you should thank people for tuning in. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think if I've forgotten anything else. Yeah, obviously, thanks for listening. Um, we'll be back every month as usual. Um, thank you for being on the podcast, Matt. Hello. Thank you, Alan, for being such a good host. Yeah. I'm going to go into classical radio announcer style. Um, it's really strange. Anyway, thank you, Harvard, as well. Thank you, Ellen. <laughs> Why is this so Why is this fucked? Why is this fucked? <laughs> Thanks, Trent. Yeah, I, I think you should have just done a cold, cold, cold close. Like, you ruined it. <laughs> you threw off the Emperor's groove. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, we will be back next month as always. Um, like I said, the music you're listening to is the squat music from Final Fantasy VII Remake, so do check that game out if you get a chance. And be sure to check out digitallydownloaded.net on a regular basis. My name is Alan. I've been your host for the day. Good evening, everyone.